Welcome to the Human Everywhere podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jason Bott. Human Everywhere is a production of Deep Space Predictive. And our focus for Human Everywhere is to look at the future of space exploration and make sure that we are expanding just beyond the technical aspects of propulsion, beyond computing, beyond technology. And remember that at the core of all exploration is the human ambition to see what is out there. So today we have an amazing guest, but first of all, let me introduce my co-host and our co-founder, Ubi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, hello. Yes, uh, my name is Ubi Simignetti. My real first name is Ubaldo. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of Deep Space Predictive, and I'm just very excited to, to always be here and uh, talking about this, this very applicable right subject to all of us on Earth. Right. It's 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 and, and I'm a Star Trek fan, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek. We've talked about this before. But for me, Star Trek, it's it's that ideal. Right. It's just that it's what it can represent. And, and it, it's I feel like it's just right there. Right. So anyway, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Aliris, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> Thanks, Yubi. Thanks, Jason. So my name is Aliris Allman and I'm the founder of Deep Space Predictive. And as we talk, as Yubi and Jason have already talked about, you know, we are human wherever we go. That's just, we can't not be who we are. And a lot of my research and inspiration for founding Deep Space Predictive is recognizing that humanity. And this is a wonderful extension of having that conversation beyond the technical, beyond the research and getting into the reality of who we are and what we take when we go into space. And I'm super excited to have Dr. C.M. Proctor here with us today. She is Inspiration for Mission Pilot, a historic flight, becoming um, a commercial astronaut, being a pilot, and the first Black woman to be doing that, which is always exciting. And what's exciting for me is that she is a Jedi for space, justice, equality, diversity, inclusiveness. I have created a Jedi Council in one of my organizations. And so I'm so inspired by you, Dr. Proctor. So I'm so wanting to know that, that that talk that you gave spurned some action into our Colorado Space Business Roundtable. So with that, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm just thrilled. Uh, it's great to see you again and being able to come and talk about my experience, but also the future of human spaceflight and how we're writing that narrative now. And how do how do we make that a Jedi space? And how do we uh, keep that human element uh, always present in, in our thinking? Yeah, so um, since you're flying, I mean, you've always been involved in space in the pursuit of it in different uh, aspects and different projects. I know one of your latest ones is about is Star Harbor, which is where we started to get introduced. So tell us a little bit about Star Harbor. Yes, uh, sorry, I was unmuting. Um, what's great about Star Harbor is it's a space flight training academy, basically. Uh, I like to think of it as your modern day um, Starfleet Academy. You remember, yeah. you just say, how, yeah, this whole idea of um, how do you build and prepare people for the future of humanity permanently working, living, 
and playing in space and and not just you know for a small elite group of individuals but um everyday people uh, living on the moon mars uh low earth orbit all of those things and, and hopefully going beyond and so to get people flight ready you got to get them trained here on earth and and so we're looking at um i i'm thrilled to be part of the star harbor team and um, our mission is basically to cultivate a sustainable and thriving future for all of those on and off planet. And so we're going to have a 767, uh, Boeing 767 for parabolic flights. We're going to have um, a centrifuge. We're going to have a neutral buoyancy tank, uh, hyperbaric and hyperbaric chambers, um, but also all kinds of facilities. There's going to be a pie center um, if we're, for the public to come in and interact with, uh, with us. And, you know, it's just going to be a really fun, interesting environment for research and development, bringing together all types of stakeholders from the, you know, the business world, from um, uh, NGOs, from, um, you know, universities and K-12 uh, and, and, and government entities. And how do you bring them together into a, you know, to some extent, a think tank environment for the future of space, human space exploration? I mean, that's really exciting. And it's, uh, th that's in Colorado, or they're, you're kind of building, I think there's, right, there's land and you're going to build a lot of things yes, here in Colorado. Colorado. And so it's so exciting because, you know, Colorado's Aerospace Alley and, yeah. and just really getting into this, uh, all of the amazing um, companies that are existing there, the universities, the support, um, it, it even like, again, that educational system being, I'm the VP of education. And so how do we, um, how do we, include that because that's the foundation in the future. Uh, and yeah, and, and having a place where again, a lot of that is research and development, thinking about um, products in the future. And, and But also there's a, a big social component to this in a sense of how do you create good crew cohesion? How do you understand people's strengths? Um, how do you import the, how do you learn about the psychology of human spaceflight and the impact? Um, food and mood is a big one that I like to think mm -hmm. about because we, we don't talk about that a lot, but man, if you if you're hangry up in space, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, so true. Um, and and so art in space, music, um, all the things. How do we bring you know the humanity, the human part um, to space with us and keep that alive and thriving? But also, how do we solve for space equals solving for Earth? Well, that's a good segue into kind of one of the main topics we wanted to talk about was solving for space is actually in a lot of ways solving for Earth, because we talked uh, previously, you know, when we were kind of prepping for this about the, the disconnect that exists um, be between kind of the general population and, and those small group of people who currently have access to space. Can you talk about that? Like what, what, what is it about going to space? And then this will lead into a great conversation that Alaris uh, and Jason wanted to talk about is, as, you know, how do you define an astronaut? But first of all, like, what is, why is it our story? And, and how do we, how do we connect the dots for everybody about going to space? Well, you know, I think a big part of the disconnect is um, people don't see the relevance of, of what we do up there 
to connecting to their everyday lives. Uh, and, and that's a story that we need to keep telling um, and, and developing because when we think about, um, for example, setting up a, a lunar base, um, that has to be efficiency in water, energy, waste management, food, uh, you know, all the things that we think, you know, that we actually have problems with here on earth, those, we have to solve those same challenges, the things that we need to survive, but in the extreme most harsh environment, um, the moon or space. And, and, and up there, because it's not the plentiful, bountiful earth, um, even though that's to some extent a misconception uh, because earth has limited resources, but up there, there are no resources for the, there are, but the ones we have to bring to survive. And so they have to be extremely efficient. So you can imagine thinking about just water and how we are going to handle um, water, uh, getting water there, um, whether we're going to take it from the rocks or existing ice on the moon or, you know, um, but how do we filter it? How do we circulate it? How do we reuse it? All of those things. And that's technology that needs to be developed. And that's technology that's going to be developed here on earth. And, and that's the technology that, because it's such high efficiency, it comes back to um, making us efficient here. I mean, just thinking about our phones and cell phone and satellite technology, it wouldn't ex exist without space technology. I mean, that this is space on Earth, and we don't talk about space on Earth enough, um, but it's in our lives, everything that we do, and, and literally connected to us everywhere we go. Absolutely. It's, it's so interesting as you, you know, you talk about that connection is it truly is an education piece. It's not, you know, we're, we talk about the R&D and how do you explain the R&D, but it's also educating the public about, you know, the reason they can watch their TikToks is because they're satellites. <laughs> you know, that might, it's, you know, just speaking, just came right down to the point. If you want to make those sports bets, you need your satellites. <laughs> you do. It, it, just even the microelectronics, you know, everything has to be um, smaller and more efficient for space because sending things, getting out of the Earth's gravity well, it takes a lot of energy. And, and so we want light, fast, efficient, all of that. And that's a driving force in, in um, how we're, you know, dealing with space technology. And, and that all leads to, again, the efficiencies we see around us and use every single day. But that narrative needs to be told, that, that story. Um, and, and that's why this conversation is so relevant. Definitely. So curious, hopping a little bit over, because I think, one, I still want to dig a little bit more into your incredible journey, because uh, I know we've hopped right on into Star Harbor and all the ideas about space, but your journey itself has been really incredibly remarkable. And uh, I, I think we need to make sure that uh, we are celebrating what you've done. But I also wanna discuss the fact of what you have done with Star Harbor SpaceX and put that in the larger picture. But maybe just give us a little bit of a background what you've done and tell us a little bit about that flight that you've gone on. Yeah, you know, uh, last year was, a, it was a real game changer because, um, about this time last year, Inspiration4 was announced through the Super Bowl that, two, that they were doing the first all civilian mission to orbit and that two people could win a seat. Um, one was the generosity seat by donating to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. You could be entered in to win that. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was the prosperity seat where you showed your entrepreneurial spirit and opened up a shop to sell some type of service. 
and then created a two minute and 20 second Twitter video, you could win your spot to space. <laughs> and uh, I have been chasing space my entire life. Um, I was born on Guam because my dad was working at the NASA tracking station during the Apollo missions. And so I grew up with Neil Armstrong's autograph to my dad and all this other space memorabilia. And being a science kid, I, you know, I had my telescope early and was looking up at the stars and, and thinking, how do I get there? Uh, and so I entered both contests and I, I ended up winning the prosperity seat and I did it as an artist and a poet, even though I'm a geoscientist and almost NASA astronaut. Well, that is absolutely remarkable. Let me, let me ask you a little bit, because this is, if you go on forums, you go on this fact, it actually really caught a lot of, you know, the Twitterverse when Bezos sent up his team. What is the definition of an astronaut? Because there is that very question. I, I've heard everybody say, well, it's, you know, if you got to go through NASA's whatever 72, you know, 42 step process, that defines you as an astronaut. Um, or, you know, you've at least got to have some training, you know, what, what is the definition in your mind? And um, I also want to possibly link into the question of the fact that I think the term astronaut helps us keep the idea of human everywhere involved in the process because of that Latin root of not, the fact that it takes an action to be involved, that you're part of the exploration. But I'd like to get your perspective. Well, you know, I just happened to pull up um, the definition because I like to use it. According to Oxford, <laughs> the <laughs> definition of an astronaut is a person who is trained to travel in a spacecraft. Interesting, right? Yeah. And so if you think about that, a person who's trained to travel in a spacecraft versus, um, you know, the definition of, well, where is space? And, and so when we think of the Kármán line, um, and this is the uh, definition of that, it is 100, um, let me get that straight, it is um, 54 nautical miles up or 100 kilometers up above the Earth's surface where we consider the, the amount of molecules, you know, per like square inch or whatever that is, um, is so minute that you're basically in the vacuum of space. And, and so there's this high idea of, you know, the definition, it, it, you're training to go up in a spacecraft versus a line that you might have to cross. Um, to be considered in space and an astronaut. Now, what's interesting when we look at the history of NASA and astronauts, um, you, it was a selection process. You got selected to be an, become an astronaut and you began training, but training did not guarantee flight. But you mm -hmm. still have, there's a lot of astronauts, NASA astronauts out there that never made it to space. And so when we're talking about defining um, if we go by the traditional Oxford, if you've been training to go on a spacecraft mission, you could be considered an astronaut, right? Um, mm -hmm. But you don't get your astronaut wings until you've crossed what we call typically the Kármán line, mm -hmm. um, which is that 100 kilometer uh, mark. And, and so there's, I, I think that, that those are interesting things to debate about. Um, but for me, anybody, who is, uh, who goes to space, in my opinion, who, who makes it up there, whether it's suborbital or orbital, is an astronaut. Um, you have gone up and done something. You've gone up to a, a line. Uh, you've seen a, the Earth from a perspective that has fundamentally 
um, changed you and, and done something uh, that's amazing. You've seen something uh, and experienced something uh, that is just out of this world. And as a result, you're an astronaut. <laughs> and so I don't have a problem with being um, lumped with the suborbitals, but I do, I do say that going orbital is far more challenging than suborbital. And so the amount of inherent risk of becoming an orbital astronaut um, is, is definitely um, a difference. Mm. Well, and I, I always, this makes me think back to Frank White, who we had uh, on the podcast, you know, and he, he talks about the earth being a spaceship. So in, an, in essence, it we're is. sort of all astronauts. So I just, that's why I love this conversation because I think it's part of um, getting rid of that disconnect. It, it, that's part of getting every human being on this planet to, to kind of accept that this is a part of their story. And, and, and there are so many aspects to it. And that's, that's where I think, you know, you talked about eliteness. I think that that eliteness that sort of exists is part of the issue, right? Because it, it's creating a definition that's not necessarily true. It's just by whether you have the money to do it or, you know, whether you, you know, one of the very, very, very few to get into NASA. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all on this spaceship. We've all been training to to be in space, like we're all, I'm, hey, I'm an astronaut, you right. know, and like there's just steps to it. There are, and it's perspective, you know, um, yeah. and, and how you, how you view yourself on Starship Earth versus SpaceX, star, you know, or um, SpaceX's Starship in the future. Um, and then I like to think about the future when people are being born on the moon or Mars and, you know, they're, um, their ancestors were astronauts to get there. Now they're on a totally different um, body than the earth. Now, you know, are you an astronaut? <laughs> um, and and right. thinking about that, the, the future of that is so fascinating. But the, the fundamental question is access. How do we create a Jedi space, yes. a just, equitable, diverse, and inclusive space so that more people um, have the ability to go? Now, right now, because it's so expensive to, to get off Starship Earth, um, the cost, it, it, fundamentally, we have to bring down the cost that en enables access. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people talk about, you know, billionaires being able to afford and, and go on these flights. Well, um, this is where I love Inspiration4 because it said, yeah, Jerry came in and said, I can do this and I can take whoever I want, but I want to try and um, do this right. I want to do it where I'm giving access to people who normally wouldn't have access. And I also want to solve, you know, for issues on earth. And by throwing in the $200 million fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, um, flying Haley as the first um, childhood cancer survivor and first person with a prosthesis in her leg, um, mm. you know, uh, having me as the first black female pilot of a spacecraft, um, having Chris um, Sombrowski as, you know, he won his ticket um, by donating. And, you know, he's, he's a dad, um, you know, uh, that not that other NASA astronauts aren't, but he, he never expected to, to go to space. <laughs> he always talks about how he was always going to be the guy who supports others to be able to go and do that. And then here he was riding a rocket to space. Um, that's where you start 
working towards that Jedi space and having that conversation by getting the people who have the access right now to be thoughtful about their intentions of who gets selected and how and, and what they're going to do and the messaging around it. You know, oh, no, go ahead. Lur Sawyers. You know, one thing that's interesting is we want to inspire and there's the argument of like, who gets to go? I guess one of my questions would love your opinion on how do we inspire people to want to go? And though, how do we make it okay for those who will support us going, but really just don't want to go, you know, from a cultural perspective, because there are some things that we have to honor that, you know, people have different relationships with space. Mm -hmm. And while we are like, let's all go, let's do this. <laughs> some cultures are like, no, but we'll support you. And how do we support them in supporting us with their no? Oh, I totally agree. Um, you know, and, and I think that, again, that's the, the storytelling aspect of, of human spaceflight is making connections with people around the world and having conversations about um, who wants to go to space and why. Um, and then also who doesn't want to go to space and why, um, and how do we support each other um, with these different um, viewpoints. But the whole point is that we all make that connection of the importance of why we need to go as humans to space and, and why that is an endeavor worth supporting. Um, and I think that the, for me, and I, when I think of a Jedi space, it, the big, biggest issue is we don't have enough um, people of color and, um, and even women applying to be part of that space. When I was looking at, you know, the European Space Agency pushed out um, how many people applied for their astronaut selection process, which is, in, which is happening right now. And they're the first ones to say, yeah, we will look at people with um, certain types of disabilities to be able to apply for the first time ever. And, but they broke it down by countries of how many women and um, men applied and then how many got moved on to the second round. And, and the percent of just you know, men to women, I would say it was still a quarter or less typically women to men, you know, so 25% women to 75% men. Um, and then they didn't get, get into the um, ethnic and, you know, racial breakdowns of those. But it, it, we have to have people being able to see themselves, um, this as a career, or this is a thing that they want to do uh, before we can have that Jedi space. And, and so one of the things that I've come back from my experience and, and wanting to share is talking to underrepresented communities and sharing my experience and um, my roadmap to get there and, and why um, this is something worth pursuing and that it's a long haul game. You know, it took me over 50 years to get there, um, but I did it. And, uh, and, and having that hope for the future, because fundamentally it's, it's about a positive hope for the future. Um, and as an Afrofuturist, artist and poet, um, that's something that I want to do too. I don't want a, um, a, a future that is a Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. I, want, I want Star Trek. I don't even want Star Wars. Wars, no, yeah. I want Star Trek. <laughs> um, and so having that vision in mind is important. It's interesting you bring up the that one of I think one of the most interesting phrases is Afrofuturist because we've seen 
mm-hmm. one both kind of a revival of that in the recent years. I mean, or as some would say, it's always been there. It's not been a revival. It's just the fact is, you know, it hit the forefront of, you know, public consciousness. But what I love that what you said is most people tie Afrofuturism entirely towards fiction writing. Yeah. And immediately their brains go to Octavia Butler, you know, they, they go down to N.K. Yep. Jemison, they go down that route. But you reference poet and art. So walk me through how do you explore Afrofuturism as a poet? I'm very curious about that. Yeah, so a lot of it is that my art and poetry are tied together. And so um, when I talk about Afrofuturism artists, well, I, I have three main characters um, that I've kind of created. One is my Afronaut, um, and that is just this idea of somebody who is um, faceless, um, dancing on the moon and Mars. It's typically a female character, uh, and it, it really kind of reminds me a lot of um, the, little, uh, the Little Prince, the book, mm, um, yeah. where... And, and traveling among the, the stars and kind of dancing that your way there. Um, well, what would that look like for a person of color? Um, and, and how do you get there? And so one of the pieces that I've created is called Artemis Rising. And, and it's this whole idea of the Artemis program and going back to the moon. And um, when we go back to the moon, um, I wrote this poem and I'm just going to read it to you to give you this idea of the Afrofuturism. So the uh, art is a black female in a spacesuit reaching for the moon. That's the art piece. And then the poem is this. Will you know my name as deep as I know yours? Will you embrace me the way you did him? I don't get the luxury of choice, only the sorrow of never being first. They say it's okay, you still belong, but we know the truth. Only select tokens will be taken at this entrance booth. And so this whole idea of um, the black female, like I'm shocked that I'm the first black female pilot of a spacecraft and to have that honor. But typically, but, but I'm not the first person to do that. You had the black, you had the, the white male pilot of a spacecraft. You had the black male pilot of a spacecraft. You had the white female pilot of a spacecraft. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, yeah, I may be the first, but I am in a long, out loud, the end of the line of the first. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, when we think about NASA's messaging, they say, we're going we're gonna to send the first female and the first pu- person of color. You know, the first used, messaging used to be, we're going to send the first female and then the next male. And, uh, and, and then they said the next, they say now the first female and the first person of color. Well, they can be one and the same, <laughs> right? you know, we can right. check that box with one, <laughs> you know, yeah. or why does it have to be a choice? I mean, oh my goodness, we're amazing people. We have amazing engineers build a platform that folds out and then opens up. So two people can stand on it at the same time and step onto Mm. the moon together. Wow. Novel idea. Could we do that? I mean, to me, that's the Jedi space of, of, well, okay, how do we bring as many people along and what kind of message do we want to, um, to, to give? And, and I think that that just, we need to keep talking about this so that the people who are making the decisions and are selecting um, will will hear us and will want to strive for that Jedi space. 
It is interesting that you titled your poem Artemis and what you, I think, just described reflects a major shift in almost an archetypal understanding of the way that we approach space. It, it, to me, everything that has been challenging about NASA and space exploration for the last how many ever years, 50, is really tied to the fact that we chose as our emblem Apollo. This idea of let's shoot to the sun, let's go after uh, this thing, but it was a very white male-centered focus of aggression and achievement and empowerment, but without a desire to stay. I think that's one of the things that's interesting is that one, Artemis is a sister, but more than that is that Artemis abides. Uh, when you look at the classical mythology, it is a very different spirit in that she's not just going to conquer, she's going to land and more so than that, bring with her the very things that you are talking about, bringing art with her, bringing those aspects of humanity. Apollo doesn't take humanity with us. If we're lucky, we get a follow in his stead. But yeah. Artemis changes that dynamic. And I, I think it's key that you said that. You're right. It's, you know... Um, yeah, for me, uh, as you, my, my degree is in creative writing and literature and mythology, and I'm already picking apart your poem and looking at it because I think we could probably do another 30 minutes just on that. Uh, that final two <laughs> lines are potent and haunting. Only select tokens will be taken at this yeah. entrance booth because I think it does acknowledge the fact that there is still, we are not past the Apollo mentality. Mm-hmm. And that we have to be careful that all humans are not going to be there. We, we talk about not past the Apollo. Uh, you just have to look at the NASA selection. This last yeah. one, like it was nine out of ten. I were military background. Yeah. Um. And and all all of the females were white. <laughs> there was yeah. no diversity in in any of the females. So that tells me, okay, the footsteps the female footsteps on the moon are they going to be a white female uh absolutely because the person of color is next in line and Mm -hmm. and that might be a a man or a woman but you know and i'm just like yeah but i you know fingers crossed jessica watkins she's in the running she's uh gonna be going Mm. with um the crew four launch that's coming up with nasa and she's a geologist, and uh, and you know, so I'm partial to that. She's a black female, <laughs> so. Uh, but the the whole idea of you're sending a message, yeah. and and to me, yes. when I saw who they selected in this last one, I'm like, oh, you still have to be military, and you have to be pretty much white. <laughs> yeah, if, well, that's, like, yeah. You can if be an older white male, but you can't be an older white female. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Mm-hmm. We're still intoxicated by the myth of the right stuff. I mean. I mean, yeah. as long ago as that was, that is really what we're beholden to. But this is why I love, um, you know, what private uh, space is doing. Because yeah. literally with the Polaris um, program, that, you know, you're, you're sending civilians to orbit further out than the International Space Station, and they're going to be doing a spacewalk. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is, that is freaking awesome. Yeah. Well, it's it's that intentionality. It's it's out, that's why I love these conversations. Like we have to intentionally because it's it's we, we can't leave it up to NASA anymore, right? right? Like it's 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 on all of us to move this conversation forward. You know, it makes me think about um, building products. You know, companies who build products, right? Like if you've got a 
all white male team of developers building a product, what are they going to build? A product for, frankly, a small minority of people mm -hmm. uh, on the planet. And it's, you know, like the first version of the Apple Watch couldn't measure the heart rate uh, of black skin, right? Like they couldn't because they, the people who developed it weren't of people of color, right? Well, so they developed- the facial recognition, right? <laughs> the facial recognition, all of that, right? Like it's like, so of course we're, the, the conversation of all of us going to space is, is sort of slowed down or, or focused only on the right stuff right? as defined by yeah. white males, you know? And, and so that's, it's so powerful because it's such a part of just the conversation that's going on right now. And, I also, and, oh. yeah, I also should point out my, so that was one of my three characters and my other one, and Alaris, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, it's Afrobotica. And so it, it gets into the conversation of, of, you know, as we go to the moon and Mars and beyond, how much human is going to be going with us in order to survive? How, how much of us will need to be augmented to actually really truly survive? And, and one of the big yeah. hitches that a lot of people don't talk about is not just the fact that, um, you know, to be able to be sustainable on the moon and Mars, reproduction. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. what, what does that look like? Because if we can't reproduce among the stars, it, how are we going to continue onward? And, and so in technology, you know, again, Haley went with a prosthesis. Um, what kind of technology will we adapt or, or find necessary? Um, not, you know, fundamentally necessary in order to uh, live and work and play among the stars. Right, and that is such, I mean, that's where we started. We want to live and play among the stars. We want to take all of ourselves, even if some of ourselves are augmented, yes. whatever that is, are we taking us as humans or as people? And what does all that mean? And it's been such a wonderful conversation with you, Dr. Proctor. And we're gonna start to, to, to wrap up here. Um, you know, we've talked about where we're going who gets to go, loved your poetry, like Jason said, that last line, I'm like, okay, just sent chills. And it's so, so true. Um, what are some last words you'd like to leave with us and you know, have us to be grounded, but also think toward the stars? Well, I think that brings in my last character and that's Afro Gaia. And so, the, and mm -hmm. that's Mother Earth. And, and so Afro Gaia is all about um, how, you know, she's watching. We all come from Africa. So this is, is talking about the earth as a living system that is um, a part of us and we're a part of it, um, but it's, it's Afrocentric again. Uh, and the fact that humans came out of, uh, out of Africa and um, what does that mean for the future? Uh, how do we be um, good stewards of Afro Gaia and, uh, or, or other words, mother earth as we venture out into the stars? Um, and so there's no better place than home. Um, Starship Earth is, is number one. And um, everything we do out there needs to serve us back here uh, and making us into the, you know, the utopian um, planet that we can be when we learn to cooperate and work together and, and strive for that Jedi space, that Jedi space here on Earth. You uh, keep showing uh, photos of your book. Where can people find that? And uh, if they want to order copies of that. 
It's on Amazon. Now you can Google me on Amazon, Cyan Proctor, but it will change it to Stan Proctor. So you have to <laughs> click right. Cyan. No, you got to be like, no, I really want S-I-A-N Proctor. Yeah. <laughs> it's called A Space to Inspire the Art of Inspiration. And um, it's, uh, I hope that you love it and let me know which poem you like the most and why. Um, I self-published, so it's it's my precious little thing here. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Dr. Proctor, we have so enjoyed our time with you. You have been an incredible inspiration, and we fully recognize uh, someone who galvanizes with our message of human everywhere, and it is fantastic to have you involved in the space community and being able to make waves like you are, and so we deeply appreciate your time here with us. Uh, on behalf of Deep Space Predictive and Human Everywhere, I am Jason Bott, along with Ubi Seminary and Aliris Almond, and we want to thank you all for joining us for today's podcast. Bye, thank everyone. you. Thanks for thank you. you.